Well, brothers and sisters, it's good to see all of you here again this morning. We turn our attention to the preaching of the Word of God. Let us turn in His Word to Leviticus chapter 10. As we are continuing in this study, this sermon series of meeting with God in worship. By turning to Leviticus 10, I want us to ask ourselves a question. What should we do when we gather together as a church to worship? Have you ever thought about that? What should we do when we are gathered here? And our worship as a church. You know, I'm convinced this question is too rarely asked. We do what we do because that's what we've always done. We, we do what we do because that's what other churches do. But all too often, the most important questions that need to be asked are the ones we haven't asked. So I want us to take some time this morning and ask this question, to wrestle over this question. What should we do when we worship together as a church? And today, I'm going to answer this question from a short story in Israel's history through the book of Leviticus. And this, I admit, is not an easy story for us to read. But I'm convinced that it will help us to recognize what we should do when we gather together as a church. So let us read then Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Now before we continue, brothers and sisters, let us once more pray to our great God. Father, what sobering words we have just read. May you then speak to us through them so that we will understand what we should do when we gather together as a church in worship. Father, may this sermon be greatly blessed of you so that we can understand what we are doing when we meet with you in worship. And so that we may indeed come before you as sinners saved by grace through our Lord Jesus Christ with reverence and godly fear. So Father, we pray you will be with us 
that our full attention this morning will be given over to hearing and receiving your word and that you will so empower the preaching of your word with the Holy Spirit. that We will be forever changed as your gospel continues to work down deep in us. And we continue to come near to you in worship. Father, we pray then and ask for all these blessings to come upon us in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So what should we do when we gather together as a church? Brothers and sisters, these verses remind us that we must worship God through Christ according to His Word. As we come into the very presence of God, He must be worshipped through Christ according to His Word. And we see this through three truths in each verse. First, we read of God's requirement of proper worship in verse 1, followed by God's judgment for profane worship in verse 2, and then finally in verse 3, God's holiness in pure worship. So God's requirement of proper worship, God's judgment for profane worship, and God's holiness in pure worship. And here we are in the book of Leviticus, which can be an intimidating book, right? It describes details of Israel's sacrificial system with different offerings and animal sacrifices, which all seems so foreign to us. After all, our church doesn't do these things. So Leviticus can frankly seem irrelevant to us. That's why many people, as they seek to read through the Bible, come to the book of Leviticus and give up. <laughs> Their plans come to a stop as they come to this book. It's difficult. But if we pull back and reflect upon Leviticus for a moment, as we consider it as a whole, what we have in this book is God's instructions to His people of how He wants to be worshipped. He instructs His old covenant people of what they are to do in worship. So Leviticus is an inspired worship manual which is given by God to His people to reveal to them how to draw near to Him in worship. Think about it. Because mankind is born in rebellion against God and sin, we cannot simply approach God. We are alienated from God. We are separated from God. And we are under God's wrath for our sin. And He is far too holy and righteous and pure to allow us into His presence. And since this is true, think of how gracious then the book of Leviticus is as God gives it to his people. Through Leviticus, God is saying his chosen people can approach him. That they can come to the tabernacle and later the temple and follow the sacrificial system in his presence.
And so we have here these words from God to his people, yet because of the separation between God and mankind, Israel also needs special men to represent them, priests to represent God's people and to offer their sacrifices to God so that they will be forgiven of their sins. Which is why we have chapter after chapter of these offerings and sacrifices. Well, as we look at the history of Israel, we find that the first priests that God calls to serve his people are Aaron and his sons. Now, Aaron, you may remember, was Moses' older brother. And he was a member of the Israelite tribe of Levi, which made him a Levite. Aaron, then, is the first high priest to serve God's people. And so let, let, let's turn together to Exodus chapter 28. Exodus 28, because in this chapter, what we have is God setting apart Aaron and his sons to minister to him as his priests. So Exodus 28, listen to how this chapter begins, verses 1 to 4. God says to Moses, Now take Aaron your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. So here Aaron and his sons are called to serve as priests. They are given these holy garments. And then at the end of the chapter... When they wear these holy garments, what does God say to them? You can go down to verse 43 at the end of the chapter. They shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. So they are to wear these garments and serve God in the proper way. But if they do not in their sin, they are warned of death. So in Leviticus then, we find that after the tabernacle is dedicated for Israel to worship God, that Aaron and his sons are formally set apart and consecrated into this priesthood in Leviticus chapter 8. And then in chapter 9, we find their priestly ministry beginning. Israel here draws near and stands before the Lord at the tabernacle of meeting, while Aaron makes atonement for himself and for the people through a sin offering and burnt offering and peace offerings. How then does Leviticus 9 end? Right before we come to our passage this morning, let's read together. Go back to Leviticus chapter 9, and this is what we read in verses 22 through 24. 
Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So the glory of the Lord comes down in fire and consumes these priestly offerings. And how do the people respond? By falling on their faces in reverence and fear. Well, it's with this as a background, then, we come to Leviticus chapter 10, where we turn from Aaron's priestly ministry to the ministry of his oldest two sons, Nadab and Abihu. And we read of them in the verse, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire on it and put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord. Now, Nadab and Abihu were special. They were a special people who had been set apart by God and they had joined Moses and Aaron together with 70 elders as they came up to the Lord on Mount Sinai, which is why they were highly respected and honored in Israel. So we've seen these are two men who had been selected by God as leaders of his people in their worship of God. And so here, as these priests, they each take a censer, which would be kind of like a large spoon or perhaps a small shovel that was made of bronze. And they then scoop it down to carry hot coals in order to burn incense in worship. So they fill the censer with coals of fire and add incense to offer as worship, serving as priests before the Lord. But how is this offering described? In verse 1, it's called profane fire, or some of your translations may say strange fire. But what made this fire profane? Well, of course, the text doesn't say. We, we, we don't know the specifics. After all, we later find censers being used by Aaron and other priests to offer fire and incense before the Lord. So theologians and Bible teachers over the Centuries have made a number of suggestions, but the truth is we simply don't know. Scripture doesn't explain what specifically was wrong with this fire. But the truth is it doesn't really matter. Because here's the problem. They offered this fire before the Lord, which we go on to read at the end of verse 1, which he had not commanded them. That was the problem with this profane fire. He had not commanded them to offer this fire. You see then, nowhere was this offering of fire specifically prohibited. It wasn't forbidden. Yet it also was never commanded. So God's people, we find here, are only to worship God. 
as He commands them. Because God is the one who determines how He is worshipped. And we simply follow His commands in our worship. Which is why it is by following His Word that we offer Him proper worship and anything else is profane. It's profane. So, brothers and sisters, verse 1 shows us God's requirement of proper worship. But then we come to verse 2 where we read more of God's judgment for profane worship. Nadab and Abihu are worshiping God with profane fire, and how does God respond? <laughs> with fire of His own. We read in verse 2, So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. Remember, when their priestly ministry began, Moses and Aaron blessed the people, and God's glory appeared to all of them with fire coming down from the Lord that consumed their sacrificial offerings. But now this fire again comes down from the Lord and devours these two priests in judgment. We find in the Old Testament fire coming down from heaven twelve times, with six times it being beneficial to God's people, as we saw in, verse, in, in chapter 9, while the six times this fire comes down from heaven in judgment, as we see here in verse 10. But if we're being honest with ourselves this morning, look, this can seem severe, right? They didn't properly worship God with fire and incense, with their fire and incense, and so in anger he devours them with fire from heaven. And frankly, this can seem rather severe. There's two reasons why this can seem severe to us. First, because we fail to remember the holiness of our God. And so what we do is we project ourselves onto Him, thinking we know better than God, and thinking that what they did isn't really that bad. What they did really wasn't worth, or, or worthy, wasn't worthy of His judgment. This, of course, reminds me to uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Many of you are familiar with the series by C.S. Lewis. But in the Chronicles of Narnia, you have God, who is, of course, portrayed by a mighty lion named Aslan. And when the children hear of him as a lion, they ask, is he quite safe? And you may remember the response. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Brothers and sisters, our God is holy. He is holy. And he deserves the worship of righteousness, the proper worship of a holy people. But there's another reason why this seems severe to us. Second, because we're too comfortable in our sin. We're too comfortable in our sin, and so we don't recognize how wicked this profane worship was before the Lord. 
See, we all deserve God's wrath for our sin against him. And yet, in his mercy, we continue living and breathing in this world as sinners. And so we tend to think our sinning's okay. It's not that bad. And among his chosen people, we see how God graciously allows them in his presence to worship him. And he reveals to them how they could do so through providing them with a priesthood to represent them and by giving them a sacrificial system that he would accept. Here's the question. How do these priests carry out their ministry? With thankfulness for the opportunity to draw near to God? Do they have gratitude for the opportunity to make atonement for their sin? They have humility because of their unworthiness? They have hope that their worship is according to his word and, and because it's according to his word will be accepted? No. But with selfish pride in their hearts, these brothers figured that whatever they did in worship would be good enough for God. That their identity as God's people or possibly their position as God's priests would be sufficient to come into his presence as they were and worship him. And so John Calvin rightly comments here, if we reflect how holy a thing God's worship is, the enormity of the punishment will by no means offend us. Besides, it was necessary that their religion should be sanctified at its very commencement. For if God had suffered the sons of Aaron to transgress with impunity, they would have afterwards carelessly neglected the whole law. This, therefore, was the reason of such great severity that the priests should anxiously watch against all profanation. God zealously guards his worship because of his holiness against all profaneness from his people. And so what then is the result? But he judges these priests and they both die. That's how verse 2 ends. And they died before the Lord. As the Apostle Paul later confirms, the wages of sin is death, and God could not tolerate such sin in his presence. How serious then it is, brothers and sisters, for us to come into the very presence of God in worship. You know, we've seen this kind of struggle earlier through Scripture, right? Back in Genesis chapter 4, we have another two brothers, Cain and Abel. And they sought to worship God through bringing him offerings. Cain, of course, brought an offering of the fruit of the ground, while Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. What then do we read? Genesis 4, verse 4. And the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So when you compare these two brothers, you have... One's offering of blood that was accepted by God, while you have another brother's offering of fruit that wasn't. You see, then, there is acceptable worship of God, and there is unacceptable worship of God. And rather than Cain repenting of his unacceptable 
offering in worship. He responds with anger and he kills his brother. Oh, how our sin corrupts our heart and soul. Which is why Cain is then cursed by God in judgment. And so to these brothers, Nadab and Abihu, are judged for their unacceptable worship under the curse of death for their sin in worship. And did you notice that this judgment of death was complete? Listen to the words later spoken of about Nadab and Abihu in Numbers chapter 3, verse 4. Nadab and Abihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. Or listen to 1 Chronicles chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. Now these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. The sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no children. Therefore, Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests. You see, since Nadab and Abihu had profaned God's name through their worship, God now blots out their name from among his people. They had no children and no one to carry on their father's legacy. And so their ministry was passed on to their brothers. You see, we shouldn't simply assume that God will accept our worship because of our willingness to worship him. We shouldn't simply assume that God will accept our worship because our worship is heartfelt. But God lovingly reveals to us how we are to worship him. And he judges us for unacceptable worship when we do not follow his word, but follow our own will in worship. This is what is later called in Colossians 2.23, self-imposed religion where we decide what we should do in worship. But listen, this worship is profane. And it deserves God's judgment. So we began, began this morning by seeing God's requirement of proper worship and then continued in verse 2 to see God's judgment for profane worship. But then we've come finally to verse 3, where we read of God's holiness in pure worship. Nadab and Abihu were dead. How do you think that Father Aaron would respond? You can imagine how, what he was thinking as God judges his two sons. Why, Lord? Why? His heart would have certainly broke with the death of his two sons in the presence of God. So Moses then turns to Aaron and speaks words of God to Aaron. As John Currid notes, Nadab and Abihu had scorned God's word, and now Moses pronounces it. Because it is the authority for worship. And so we read in verse 3, And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke. 
And what does he say? Well, there's the pronouncement from God here that's given as a poetic couplet, which is probably so that it will be easy for God's people to remember. Because these words from God are words that we all need to keep in mind as we worship him. So let's read them together in verse 3. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So what does God say to us through Moses? That when we come near to God in worship, he must be regarded as holy. So that he will be glorified before his people. Again, this was nothing new to God's people. We can go back to Exodus chapter 19, verses 21 to 22, where God warned his people as they came before him on Mount Sinai of what would happen. Listen, Exodus 19, verses 21 and 22. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord and many of them perish. Verse 22, also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And what has happened to Aaron's sons who served as priests? That they didn't listen to God's warning. They didn't take seriously his worship, and so the Lord broke out against them. So as Aaron's confronted with this truth, what else could he do but remain silent before the Lord? And so we read there at the end of verse 3, So Aaron held his peace. After all, he had just witnessed an awesome display of God's righteous power against sin. So Aaron didn't grumble. He didn't complain. He didn't protest God's judgment. God, you are wrong for how you've treated my sons. No. Aaron submitted himself to the word of God and remained silent. He submitted himself to the truth of God's word that had been spoken through Moses. Because his sons got what they deserved. And their deaths graphically showed what happens when we don't approach God in pure worship according to his commands. Aaron's heart then becomes an example for us all, this humble submission to God. And so we read of this, for example, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Verses 1 to 2, here we have King Solomon who at the end of his life is speaking to Israel about going to the house of God for worship. But what does he say? These parting words to Israel? Solomon is near death. Listen to Ecclesiastes 5 verses 1 to 2. Walk prudently when you go to the house of the Lord. And draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, 
And let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And that's what Aaron learned that tragic and sad day. The need for us to walk prudently before God as we enter His presence in worship as a church. So Matthew Henry summarizes well what happened to Nadab and Abihu. Henry writes in his classic commentary, Now now that the laws concerning sacrifices were newly made, lest any should be tempted to think lightly of them because they descended to many circumstances which seemed very minute, these that were the first transgressors were thus punished for warning to others and to show how jealous God is in the matters of his worship. Brothers and sisters, this is the God to whom we draw near in worship when we gather together on his appointed day of worship. And yet how rarely we recognize the one in whom the very presence we enter into. As you've come into this room on Sunday morning, have you ever wondered to yourself, why am I not immediately devoured by fire for my sinfulness. You know, the truth is we're not any better than Nadab and Abihu. We're not any better than God's people who had to wait outside of the tabernacle because we too are unworthy of entering God's presence in worship. Which is why we can only meet with our holy God in worship through Christ and through Christ alone. While Aaron's sons failed as priests by offering profane fire to the Lord in worship, brothers and sisters, we have a greater high priest, Christ, who succeeded as our high priest by offering himself to the Lord for us, which was an acceptable offering of worship. So while they died under the judgment of God for their sins, Christ died under the judgment of God for our sins. And that's where our hope is found. We can come every week into this room and meet with God in worship because Jesus Christ has taken the judgment we deserve upon himself. We can enter into this room and come together and meet with God in worship because Christ died on the cross under the very wrath of God we deserve. The fullness of the fire of God's wrath was poured out on Christ through his death on the cross. So we, brothers and sisters, will no longer be consumed as Nadab and Abihu were. So it's through our faith in Christ then that we no longer need to fear the judgment of God for our sins. We can confidently draw near to Him in worship. So believe in Christ. Believe in Christ 
by turning away from your sins in repentance and by turning to Christ in faith because apart from Christ, you may not be consumed by fire. Because God is gracious and patient with you. But you will ultimately be destroyed by the very wrath of God because of your sin. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Brothers and sisters, when we are gathered together, this is a time, a holy time. We are present in the very presence of God. We dare not take such a gathering so lightly. And brothers and sisters, there's still a warning here for us too. Because our God hasn't changed. So let us turn to the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 verses 28 to 29. Because in these verses, believers are reminded of how we are to worship God through our faith in Christ. Let's then read together from Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Why? Verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. This is the God we worship. A consuming fire. How then should we come before Him and meet with Him in worship? with reverence and godly fear as we serve Him acceptably by following His Word through Christ and His grace. See, God must still be regarded as holy by those who come near Him. And before Him all people, and before all people, He must be glorified. So here's the sobering truth. While we come near to God through our faith in Christ, there is still the threat of death for unworthy worship. Do you realize that? If we worship God in an unworthy manner as Christians, God can still punish us by death. can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 32. Now, we're, many of us are familiar with 1 Corinthians 11 because these are the words that are often repeated as we're about to take the Lord's Supper. But again, they be, can become so common to us that we miss the, the, the gravity and the soberness of the words. So what does the Apostle Paul say when we gather and worship to observe the Lord's Supper? Again, let's read verses 27 to 32. 
Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep or die. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord we may not be condemned with the world. You see then that we can eat and drink judgment on ourselves and become weak and sick and even die. Now there's another example in the New Testament, in the early days of the church, the book of Acts. We have a husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira. You may remember. But they come to the church and worship. And they're presenting their financial offerings, their gift. They're, they're taking their money and placing it in the plate like we do. But as they do so, they lie of how much they're giving. They both lie before God in His presence of the gathered church. And what happens to them? They die under God's judgment immediately as well. Do you see how serious it is for us to meet with God in worship as we gather before Him in His presence? And yet how little we think of this. How frequently today churches simply carry out worship in whatever way they want by doing whatever they think is best. I think it's helpful for us to review for a moment how far we've, we've come in, in this study. What we've learned so far when we meet with God in worship as a church is first, that God calls our meeting. Second, God schedules our meeting. We see here is that God also runs our meeting. And so Christ opens the entrance into God's presence for us to worship Him. And God gives us a Sabbath day of rest in Christ to worship Him. Then we also see that we must worship God through Christ according to His Word. But like Nadab and Abihu... I'm afraid that we have lost sight of the holiness of our God and what it means to come near to Him in worship. So rather than trusting in God's promise of meeting with us to rejoice in His glory and to receive His grace, Christians have become consumers who rely on our churches to create an environment where we will experience God and be entertained through our worship which is why many churches today are more than willing to cater to your felt needs. But what we actually need is pure worship before our God. 
since he meets with us through the gospel of Christ to give us grace. And where we then express our gratitude to him with our praise. See, there's essentially two different ways that we can approach God in worship. They're called the normative principle and the regulative principle. But we can approach God through the normative principle of worship, where we worship God according to our preferences, as long as God hasn't forbidden it. But I think it's become clear enough in Scripture what that kind of worship leads to. Profane fire. Profane worship. And the judgment of God. Or there's the regulative principle of worship. Where we worship God according to his word. By only doing what God has commanded. And it's this kind of worship. That is the pure worship of God and that pleases our God. May we then be a people who meet with God through our faith in Christ with reverence and godly fear. And let Scripture regulate every element of our worship so that we may serve God acceptably in His presence. And so, since, brothers and sisters, we are to worship God through Christ according to His Word, then what do we do? We began with the question, what should we do when we worship together as a church? Well, we look to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say we should do as we meet with God in worship? Well, these biblical elements of worship, I think, are summarized well through our own church's confession of faith, the 689 Second London Confession of Faith. Listen to what we read in chapter 22, paragraph 5 of these elements of our worship. We read in our confession, the reading of scriptures preaching and hearing the word of God, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, as also the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper are all parts of religious worship of God to be performed in obedience to him with understanding, faith, reverence, and godly fear. Moreover, Solemn humiliation with fastings and thanksgivings upon special occasions ought to be used in a holy and religious manner. Do you see then the, the elements and the only elements that we should be using in our worship? I like how Ligon Duncan has famously summarized these truths by saying that when churches gather, we should read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, and see the Bible. Say that again. We should read the Bible, preach the Bible, pray the Bible, sing the Bible, and see the Bible through the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. This is worshiping God according to His Word. You know, this may not win us any awards. We may not win any popularity contests. But our goal is not to be flashy, but faithful. Our goal is not to entertain and excite, but to exalt and be edified. 
Our goal is not to be popular to the world, but pleasing to God. Brothers and sisters, may we be a people who worship God through Christ according to His Word and only according to His Word. Because our God is holy and deserves to be glorified through the very elements He has called us to use in worshiping Him. May we then be a people committed to this kind of pure worship in God's presence. So let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, for all of Your Word, including these stories which challenge us. Father, as far as we may have failed to offer You acceptable worship, may You forgive us. We are grateful, Lord, that through Christ we no longer fear such judgment from Your hands. And yet may we not presume upon Your grace, but meet with You in reverence and godly fear. Those who recognize in Your holiness that You are a consuming fire. May then our worship be regulated by the elements You have revealed to us through Your Word. So, Father, we will read the Bible. We will pray the Bible. We will preach the Bible. We'll sing the Bible. And we'll see the Bible. Because it's through the Bible that You are glorified. Because it's through the Bible that Christ and His Gospel is proclaimed. May we then live each and every day by the Gospel and come before You in a holy reverence and godly fear. Lord, we pray for these things then in Jesus' precious name. Amen.